I think someone can hear this and say, well, there's no way that me playing video games is going to make me more godlike. And I would say, well, actually, I think God wants you to enjoy the good things that he's made, the good things that he's created. He wants you to appreciate the culture that his human image bearers have created and to enjoy it. The question is, what are the forms I can enjoy? What are the manner in which yeah. I can enjoy? Does this game and how much I'm playing it, does that help me to live a life that's more God honoring? Or does that hinder me from it? Is this making me more like Christ? Is this making me more holy? Is this a wise use of my time? I don't hate video games. Yeah. I love video games. I want to understand why. I want yeah. to know why I love them, what's good about them. And I want to be discerning about the it. stuff where there's potential issues there. Shout out to Covenant Eyes for sponsoring this season of the podcast. Covenant Eyes has helped more than 1.5 million people find freedom from porn. Check out the link in the description to sign up and use the code ROSE at checkout to get 30 days free. If you are looking for something to break you out of the rut of a stale devotional life, check out menneedhelp.org. This website outlines a 12-week challenge that will help you and your friends find a road that leads to long-term spiritual growth. Too many guys are treading water in their spiritual lives. Don't let that be you. If you need help with personal discipline and spiritual routines, check out menneedhelp.org. A link is in the show notes. I recently sat down with Patrick Miller, who is a pastor at the Crossing Church in Columbia, Missouri, and co-host of the podcast Truth Over Tribe. You may remember Patrick from a previous episode of Redeeming Productivity, in which he and Ian Harbour talked with me about the metaverse and the future of Christianity. But in this episode, Patrick and I discussed the topic of video games and the Christian. We both grew up playing video games, but as you'll hear in this episode, we've come to slightly different conclusions about the place of gaming in the life of believers. Now, with a topic like video games, it's a matter of conscience. Christians are going to come to different conclusions about how to handle something like this. It's simply our prayer that this conversation would be thought-provoking, that it would be encouraging and ultimately God-glorifying and that it would help you sharpen your thinking as you consider the place that you'll allow gaming to have in your life or maybe even the lives of your children. Now, let's get into the show. Patrick, welcome. It's good to have you here. Hey, it's great to be back on the show again. I'm so excited to talk to you about this. You wrote a great book on the topic. I think it's going to be an interesting, engaging conversation. And I think we come from maybe slightly different perspectives on the gaming spectrum. And so I'm curious, maybe it'd be fun just to start things off. What were some of your earliest experiences with the video games? Oh, I love that question. So my first experience with a video game, I have a very distinct memory of this, was going to a friend's house. I don't even remember the friend. This is the crazy part. All I remember is the video game. <laughs> I went to a friend's house, and this is going to sound creepy. He's like, hey, man, you want to go down into my basement? And I was like, yeah, dude, let's go. So we go down there, and he's got an NES, you know, the original Nintendo. And he, he switches it on, and inside of it is Super Mario Brothers. Uh, the very first, you know, Super Mario Brother game on that console. And he gave me the controller and he's like, press this one to jump, press this one to move around. And it was just this, I can't describe the experience, man. It was the feel of controlling something. I mean, it's kind of like driving a car or something like that. This feel of controlling something on a screen. I'd never done it before. Um, and it was, you know, it was lightning. Like, it's like, whoa, this is super cool. I've never experienced this. And, you know, I didn't have a game console for a long time. Like, I think I was maybe in second or third, maybe even fourth grade. It was, it was like, you know, mid, late elementary before I even had a console. So my experience with gaming as a kid was always going to friends' houses and playing video games. What about you, though? You know, it's funny. It's like nearly the same story. My next Yours was door in neighbor, a basement? It wasn't in a basement. <laughs> it was upstairs. But uh, my neighbor, my next door neighbor, they had gotten an original NES. And literally the first game I played was Super Mario. It was the one where the cartridge had Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt. It was like both games were on the yes. same cartridge. And so I remember going over there to their house and playing both of those games. And I liked Duck Hunt a lot more because you're like shooting stuff. And I remember getting in trouble because I took the little like light gun and I was right up against the TV and I was like touching because I was a little kid and I was touching the TV and they're like, you're going to break the TV. And I was like, oh, sorry. No, but you know, I, you know I that's the way that. to cheat on Duck Hunt, right? If you brought the gun close up to the screen and oh, you exactly. fired it, it kills everything. 
Yeah, just right in one blank. shot. <laughs> That's what I was it's doing. The way to win. So I, right away when I when I played my first video game, I was already cheating at them. So it was, it was good. <laughs> You're already smarter than it. Okay, so so let me ask you this: What are some of your all-time favorite video games? Yeah, um, I'll give you two sets. I love the Halo series, especially Halo Two and Three. Like going online with Xbox Live, like that was a huge game changer. Being able to play against real people okay hold on can i ask you a question around halo did you ever do the land party thing so like when i was in high school all my friends would bring their you know original xboxes we'd all bring our own tvs we put them all in the basement and you'd have to have different teams in different parts so people weren't screen peeking and you'd like play against each other dude we had my basement was set up at my mom's house where we had two couches facing opposite directions and tvs hanging from the rafters in two xboxes just for land parties like we literally set up the basement for Dude. Halo 2 land party. So we were Dude. all about it. You had the coolest mom in the world. <laughs> That's I what I just knew what we were doing. <laughs> well, she knew enough to, I mean, I'm assuming you didn't buy the televisions and hang them. And, <laughs> yeah. I mean, someone was funding your little addiction down there. That's right. <laughs> Any other yeah. favorite games? Oh, yeah. So the, another one was an MMORPG, which was, it's still around, I think, RuneScape, which I'm kind of embarrassed to say because it was pretty lame. I played the original one like yeah. before it was all like uh, 3D and stuff and it was terrible but many hours of my life went into that game so those two were like the big ones mm. for me that I put a ton of time into what about you what are some of your favorite all-time games yeah uh I think probably the game I played the most as a kid was actually Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time the Nintendo 64 Zelda uh, which was, you know, it was kind of a, a game changer when it came out. No one had ever seen a game like it. And I had a tradition. This is, again, maybe a little embarrassing. To me. I had a tradition basically from maybe fifth grade onward of beating that game at least once a year, probably until I was like a sophomore in college. It was like, okay, now's the time where I go and I beat this game. I mean, I just had it memorized backwards and forwards. I absolutely loved it. Um, so that was one of my all-time favorites. Um, I've also been a big fan of, you know, some of those older uh, Japanese role-playing games, which, like, in America is always funny because sometimes people uh, judge you for liking Japanese things. I'm like, dude, what's your deal? Like, that, isn't that kind of racist? Anyways, let's just keep going here. Uh, so, like, the Final Fantasy series. And here's what's really interesting because I think it'll relate to our conversation. The very first game I ever really played on my own and beat was Final Fantasy VII. And at the time, I was a middle schooler. I was a total lame No one liked me. No one talked to me. And my experience playing this game was really profound because it's this game that has all these characters in it who are kind of building friendships. They don't like each other at first, but they kind of come to learn how to live together alongside each other and do something great together. And at the time, that's like what I was deeply longing for. I was longing for friendships that I could do something significant with. And it was telling the story that I wanted to be true in my own life. So that's another one that I would point to as kind of all-time favorite that my mind will go back to if I think about my favorite video games. We've both chosen things from like the 90s and early 2000s, so. Yeah, well, (laughs) I think it is interesting because it's so, like you're saying, it was so formative. Hmm. It's so, like, I have memories of being in the game. You know what I mean? I was thinking about that the other day about like, I have really distinct memories of things that happened while playing games. And I don't remember what my body was doing. Sometimes I don't even remember what room of the house I was in. The memories from the game. And it did, the stories that the games told, the experiences you had, a lot of them were formative, just like other memories, to who I become as a person. So I definitely think it's an interesting phenomenon, especially in our generation, Mm -hmm. because there is that gap between what our parents experienced. Like video games were relatively new, you know, coming on the scene. Yeah, I remember um, my dad, when he first saw me playing video, he was like, oh, yeah, I, I had an Atari. I played Pong once. You know, it's like that is a totally different reality. Just like anybody listening yeah. to this, like you just mentioned games on like the PlayStation and N64 and Xbox. You know, they'd say, well, <laughs> what's happening today is radically different. Like it's totally different than that. And yet I totally agree with you. There's something incredibly immersive about playing a video game. And I do think that's what makes the genre unique. I mean, you, you can think about everything we have books, right? Like that that's mostly a uh, visual auditory experience in the sense that most people look at the book and then read the words in their head. So they're hearing something just not out loud unless they're doing an audio book. Or you think about, you know, listening to music, like it's a fully auditory experience unless you're watching a music video, then you're getting video in. Or a TV show, which is video and audio, you know, you're seeing things and you're consuming things. I think what makes video games so unique is that it's taking that visual, auditory, immersive experience and it's creating a feedback loop between what you're seeing and hearing 
hearing and what you're doing. Like all of a sudden you're entering into the ability to control what you're seeing on screen. And as an art form, that's really unique. That's like a build your own, a content build your own adventure. Yeah, it's wild. So, I mean, I get why it's, uh, you know, formative. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, One of the things we wanted to talk about was how Christians have responded to video games in the past, like how they've been treated, uh, maybe even, yeah, just generally, I guess. What have things you've seen, what have responses you've seen from Christians about video games? <laughs> I love this question. Let me ask you this. Did you grow up in youth group culture? Because I didn't really grow oh, yeah. up in youth group culture. Yeah, I did. Okay, so <laughs> can I ask you first, because I actually want to know, like, was playing video games just something that wasn't talked about or was it looked down upon? Because I can tell you what people said when I was in college after I became a Christian, but I really don't know the pre-that era version. Interesting. Yeah, I I think it probably depended on the youth group that you were in, because I remember visiting my friends' churches, and there's a bunch of video game consoles like along the back wall, you know? They're just like, hey, kids, love it. Let's throw it in here. Can I confess um, we have some video game consoles in our church? Are you judging yeah. me now? I, yeah, really hard. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. I think for me, there was kind of a mix. Like, we did video games. We had events with video games, you know, especially as we got older and the games got more um, popular and stuff. But you definitely got blowback, like, and especially more in general, maybe Christian culture. Like, I always had this sense that it was kind of like a time waster or it's childish or it's just that's a dumb thing to be spending your time on. Mm-hmm. Or the stuff about, like, violence, the association with video games or for violent kids, that kind of stuff. Dude, like, those, I totally remember vibes. that, though, from, like, the Columbine era, you know, when that first school shooting happens and it comes out that these guys uh, were super into this uh, kind of cult classic video game called Doom, which is still around, and that was... In some people's minds, that's what led them to go and do the school shooting. Now, you know, we now have a lot of history between now and then to show pretty definitively that actually video games and violence don't really, you know, in any sort of normative sense, lead people to violence. Like there's like bizarro stories you can come up with with like a 14 year old stabbing his 77 year old grandma because she took away his video game system. It's like, well, dude, that dude's a psychopath. Like it's not video games. Like he lacked a conscience. I think it's fundamentally wrong there. Uh, but I remember the violence thing. Um, but you said childish. Like tell me more about that. Yeah, I think I definitely encountered this objection more as you grow older, you know, Mm -hmm. like into high school and into college. It's like, why are you playing games? Games are for kids. You know, it's like, why are you watching cartoons or why are you collecting toys? Like in that sort of thing, Mm -hmm. like you need to move on from that. That's just kid stuff. You need to be more about the real world. But what's funny is that criticism was reserved just for this type of entertainment. You know, you'd even hear it from a guy who spends all Sunday binging football. It's like, well, what's the (laughs) difference, you know? And so I think what's interesting, Badger, I think the conversation around video games very much was shaped, at least in my experience, from the question about like time wasting and then most specifically about the violence thing, Mm. such that I think a lot of people have just moved on from it. They're like, video games don't cause violence. So what is there to talk about? The, the question, I think, was oversimplified in a lot of people's minds. Like, video games aren't bad. Therefore, let's stop talking about it. Like, who cares? You know? Yeah. And I think that there's more to think through with it. And that's why I ended up doing this book, because I became very addicted to video games mm. and like couldn't stop playing. And so my question was, not are video games bad or good, but like, why are they so fun? Like, why is it that I can't, like, binge read a book for as long as I can play video games? Why can I not uh, even, like, watch TV for that long? Like, there's nothing else like being fully immersed in a game. Like, I could play forever. And so, like, that was the thing that captured me. I was like, why is it that I love this so much? What's that tell me about my heart? What's that tell me about what I was designed for? What does that tell me about, like, even, like, the meaning of life? You know, like, deeper questions than Mm -hmm. good or bad. Yeah, well, can I ask you a question? Because the video game addiction thing is a really interesting topic. And so I have two questions for you. One, um, you know, you said, hey, video games are addictive in a different way than other things. And my first question there is how much of that is personal to you, right? Like to you, playing a video game is profoundly addictive, but to someone else, it's a different experience. For them, it might be you know, uh, scrolling on Instagram, or it might be binge watching television shows. Like there's a lot of other things they could easily Mm -hmm. be. Or just hard drugs, you know? (laughs) 
Yeah, or just cocaine, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, especially co- video yeah. games are cocaine. <laughs> no, but seriously, do you think that's because of how you're personally wired? And there's a subset of this question, which is, are there just certain personalities that are more prone to addiction than others? And so they're yeah, going to find no, anything great. to get addicted to. And so it's like, let's not make video games the enemy. Let's talk about the real thing, which is addictive personalities and your desire to spend too much time on one thing. No, that's a great question. I definitely think that I am given to video game addiction. Like, I think that there's something particularly in my wiring, like such that I, if I'll, I'll play with friends or something, rare occasions, but I don't prescribe this to anybody. This is just a me thing. Like, okay. I have tried yeah, yeah. to play in moderation. I just, I don't play games anymore. I can't put them on my computer because it will literally like steal my life. So I know that's a me thing. But with that being said, I also know that the research out there does show that it's a generalized phenomenon. Even like the DSM-5 has a category for online video game addiction. Mm-hmm. The um, I forget what they call it. Uh, the World Health Organization added something to their documents about it. That there is a phenomenon of video game addiction that I think is very similar to like social media addiction. The process of needing that like dopamine hit of something new, something fresh. It definitely is a more widespread phenomenon than it used to be. So I do think that some people, they'll play games, never have an issue with it. Other people, they'll be like me and get totally sucked into it. The analogy I use is just, it's like alcohol, for example. I don't think drinking alcohol is a sin, but I would be dumb to not treat it with care to know that there is a potential and there may be a potential to be given to alcoholism or something like that. So when I talk to Christians about that, that's how I talk about it. It's like, don't think it's bad. Don't write it off. Just be like, okay, let's approach this with discernment. Let's just think about this and don't assume that um, there's nothing there that could suck you in the same way you would with any technology. Yeah. Okay. So this is helping me as we're processing through it. I was, I was reading a, uh, something on, it was in a psychiatric journal, it was a recent article, and it was estimating that anywhere, and this is a big number in my opinion, <laughs> anywhere from 10 to 15% of people who play video games regularly uh, might qualify as having some sort of addiction. Uh, but by various standards, I mean, everybody defines addiction differently. Now, to me, that's both a big and a small number. It's like, wow, like that means one out of every 10. That's not small. You know, that, yeah. those aren't low odds. On the other side, uh, I do wonder, is this any different? Here's, here's my constant pushback with people is mm-hmm. I know a lot of men who literally from hopefully the time they get home from, from church <laughs> to the end of the day on Sunday, watch football. And this is just a part of their life, right? Their wife accepts it. Their children accept it. Maybe they've got a son or a daughter who's kind of participating in them. But this is just totally okay, right? Like I can sit here and watch this football games for, you know, six, seven hours. And I have a hard time personally differentiating between that and a guy who goes home and plays video games for seven hours. In fact, in some ways, I would say the video game is less passive (laughs) than sitting in front of the television watching the football game. So do you think those are different things or how are they different? Yeah, no, that's a great question. No, I think they're both equally, however you want to say it, bad or good. If you're overindulging, and that's something we'd have to define, I guess. If Mm, you're spending a whole bunch, an inordinate amount of time, such that you're neglecting your other responsibilities, other things you ought to be doing, on any form of entertainment, something's wrong. A correction needs to be made. And I think the discussion around video games, I'll put it this way, when I was... Uh, very addicted to video games and didn't had no intention of stopping i would use as an excuse for that addiction well look other people are addicted to other forms of entertainment you know and i'm not saying that's what you're doing but like that's not that's not a valid argument that's a terrible it's like, well, argument. Other people, yeah no so i can do this too i mean uh, like if you just think about applying that it's like well you know yeah i can hit my wife because some people hit their kids yeah uh, <laughs> that's valid no what you know uh, did you uh, I'm gonna, you go look in the mirror you say it again okay and you see yeah, what you yeah, get yeah, out of that it you know it's slow. like that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard uh and I think you're right it's like you can't justify here's my point I guess why I'm bringing this up and I think you're pushing back in a good way mm-hmm. is to me it feels like the more fundamental discussion is what you just brought up which is about uh, how much entertainment is healthy for me to have in my life 
Mm-hmm. Um, how much does this entertainment form in, in, impinge upon my life responsibilities? So that might be my relational responsibilities to a wife, to children, if you have kids or you're married, uh, to my job responsibilities, if I'm working, to my home care responsibilities, if you have a home or apartment or something like that. Like that feels like a more fundamental and helpful conversation than focusing in on video games. That's, but that's what I was asking. Is there something different though, right? Is there yeah. something special about video games that we need to have a special caution for? And I think you've actually said some really good things here. It's like, hey, maybe Maybe there are some aspects of this that are more addictive or differently addictive that you have to be yeah. aware of. So can we talk about that differently addictive part totally. and say, like, what's different about it? And can I throw a proposal at you? I yes, think you are really addicted to video games or you would be really addicted to video games if you started playing them because of your propensity for productivity. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know this was going to get personal. <laughs> no, dude, I think it's actually the reverse of that. Okay. So. Let's there go. is a connection. I think I got into the productivity thing because it, it was almost an attempt to make up for, holy cow, I wasted like the first 22 years of not, I didn't really waste 22 years. Some of that I was a baby, um, but I wasted <laughs> so much time of my young adult years, so much time, mm-hmm. just literally didn't leave the house. Like it was really bad, Patrick. And I think some of the productivity stuff was maybe even an overreaction of being like, whoa, Mm. I came to realize time is really precious. It's really important. I only have this life. Like I need to spend this well. I need to steward it well. I haven't been doing that. Let me get serious about it. And I think that seriousness just kept leading me down to, okay, how do I make sure I'm using every minute wisely? So I definitely think there's a relationship, but the way I think about it is I think it was the opposite is me running the opposite direction of, of saying, I don't really take my time seriously to Maybe sometimes I take it too seriously now. Okay, can I push back? Can I tell you why I said this crazy thing? Uh, I think one of the unique things that makes video games uniquely addictive, especially particular kinds of video games, so uh, MMORPGs might actually be, that's massive multiplayer online role-playing games. I think World of Mm -hmm. Warcraft, Final Fantasy XIV, RuneScape, which you Don't forget RuneScape. (laughs) It's still around. It's still still well-played. I looked up today some of the most uh, well-played games. You know, any of these massive, Fortnite isn't an MMORPG, but any of, you know, Call of Duty, these games that are played by a lot of people. Um, Here's why I was arguing maybe that these things are interrelated, is what these games do is they put an objective in front of you that is challenging enough to be interesting, right? It's not just easy, you know, getting the headshot isn't easy to do, um, but it's yeah. not so hard that you can't do it, not with enough practice. And there, there's like a joy. I mean, there's a deeply human joy in putting your hands around something and being able to do it, right? Like this is what a woodworker's joy is to be able to take this raw piece of wood and turn it into something beautiful that it couldn't have been otherwise. There's something about developing skills and using those skills to do something productive. And so that's what the video game hits, right? So now not only do I get the headshot, but I get a score on a scoreboard. I get to compare myself to other people. Or if I'm in this MMORPG, I'm moving forward a quest line. I'm doing the next thing that's down the line. In other words, if you have an innate desire to be productive, to feel like you've accomplished something today, I've gone through my checkbox, I've done all the things, Games really, really satisfy that deep down urge, especially particular kinds of games. And so I guess what I'm asking you is maybe your urges that have allowed you to become someone who's really invested in productivity were the exact same urges that allowed you to you know, get addicted to video games. Yeah. No, I think you're hitting on something there for sure. And I do think that for people who do become addicted to video games, I think that's one of the reasons that one of the things that's unique about the genre is... Like, I believe that we were designed for what you said. Like, we're designed for dominion, to overcome. Yes. That's what in Genesis. Like, God created us to rule, have dominion, build something. So I think that deep down, there is this desire in all of us to, whether it's build something or overcome an obstacle or whatever it is, I think we're designed for that. And I think video games latch onto that desire, all games do, in a very structured way. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be some obstacle, some objective, something you're trying to do, but in a game, it's easier than real life. It's easier because the games have to be able to be beat, otherwise no one's gonna play them. <laughs> and so it lays out this really structured path in front of you without the thistles and the thorns and the frustrations of real work. And this is where I think the appeal is, if you're dissatisfied in your real life, you're not accomplishing things, you don't feel like you're overcoming, you don't feel like you're doing something of consequence, Here's this video game that offers you a way to experience some of that satisfaction and that joy and the reward of overcoming and doing that and feel like, yeah, 
I did something. This is awesome. Yeah. And that's a cool thing. I think that's what makes them fun. The problem is it becomes easy to trick yourself and being like, well, okay, I like that feeling. I'm just going to put more of my time <laughs> yeah. into the fake thing so I get more of that feeling. And that's where it becomes a shift from fulfilling responsibilities, doing something of consequence with your life and trading that out for something that ultimately you just move in numbers on a computer somewhere. Now for a word from this season's sponsor. One of the most unproductive things you can do is allow sin to have a foothold in your life. And in our digital age, it's easier than ever to give in to that temptation. Covenant Eyes offers two apps that give you one simple path to victory. First, the Covenant Eyes sensor app operates in the background of your devices, monitoring them for concerning activity and blocking explicit content. Second, the Victory app provides your ally with the most up-to-date information about your online activity. If explicit activity is detected, an alert will pop up encouraging them to contact you. The Victory app is also full of resources and courses to help you grow in your battle against lust. And Covenant Eyes gives you the tools you need to make the right decision when you're tempted online. Covenant Eyes has helped more than 1.5 million people find freedom from porn, and maybe it can help you too. Just go to CovenantEyes.com and use the code ROSE, that's R-O-S-E, at checkout to try it free for 30 days. So I think this is interesting. Let me change the metaphor for a second because I think that it's almost so obvious the case against video games that, hey, these can be a massive time waster that distract Mm -hmm. you from important things in your life, which we've already established is true of a lot more (laughs) than just video games. And so you have to start thinking through, you know, discerning how do I spend my time? Like how much time am I spending on social media? How much time do I spend watching TV at the end of the day? How much time do I watch football? And so I don't do fantasy football anymore, right? Like the amount of guys I know who, who love to pick on video gamers, and I'm like, you literally spend hours a week on your fantasy football and you think you're better than those people, but like you both need to ask the same fundamental questions. But I do think we've narrowed in on what I do think makes video games unique. I mean, aside from the flashing lights and that looped interchange that is addictive in its own right, uh, which is the productivity uh, addiction, which is I feel yeah. like I'm accomplishing. Now, he- here's where I change the metaphor. What's the difference between that and reading a story and engaging deeply in stories. Like someone asked me, why do humans love telling stories? Why do I spend hours, you know, reading Harry Potter to my daughter or rereading The Lord of the Rings or whatever book series you love? What is it that's appealing? And I would argue that you might disagree that part of it is the exact same thing. It's I get to live vicariously through this character who is being productive and doing challenging things. But the only thing I have to be able to do is be a literate person. You know, I just have to read it. So do you think there's an overlap there? Do you think there's a difference there? Yeah, I definitely think there's an overlap there. I think that story element is compelling. I mean, that's any form of entertainment has an aspect of story to it. Even sports, you're like, what's the story? Well, it's the story of the Mm. good guys versus the bad guys every Sunday. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely think that is the heart of these ways. I was reading a book recently by um, Donald Miller. He writes on like business and story brand, all this stuff. And so I've read some of his stuff on story. And he was talking about how you're basically always living in a narrative. You have something going in your head. There's something you're chasing after. And any sort of entertainment, any sort of other story, just gives you a second to turn off your own narrative. And he said something like, the only way to turn off the story in your head is to step into another story. And so there's something really appealing about that to sort of just escape for a minute and step into someone else's story. And that holds you and you want to see it through to the end. I think we're definitely designed for that. Video games are slightly different in the way you engage it because of some of those immersive uh, participatory aspects that you mentioned. Yeah, so let me ask you a follow-up to this. Uh, someone tells you that they spend uh, 10 hours a, a week reading fiction. <laughs> okay. And let's say it's not even like, you know, cruddy romance novels, right? Because I, I will say this, and I want to get into this. I think part of our problem with video games is this nascent elitism. You know, it's like the New York yeah. Times is going to publish who knows how many articles about Broadway plays that literally no one will ever go to or care about, but they will not talk about the video games that hundreds of millions of people are playing that are actually the cultural event <laughs> of the year. It's bigger than the Super Bowl, right? I mean, like we could be out and talk about it's elitism. And so I want to get into the childish thing, but let's just say someone spends 10 hours a week and they're reading fiction, good fiction, high quality fiction. Yeah. Do you think that's different or superior to someone playing a video game for 10 hours a week? I, I picked a tricky number for you, by the yeah. way. This was intentional. No, I'm that's making good. it hard yeah, on you. Yeah. It's like 10 I, hours I feels like a lot, but yeah. it's not a ton depending on what you do. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, because most of us probably spend way more than 10 hours on some form of entertainment, right? Yep. There's Netflix or whatever. Yeah, I don't think it is in substance. I don't think so. I don't, yeah. What's funny is you asked that, like, and I'm being honest, like, I want to, like, I can feel myself wanting to say that the fiction thing is better. Like, uh-huh. so, like, it is a little, just to be honest, like, I think there is some elitism Okay, but there why? Like, I actually it. want to explore this. Yeah. There's part of me that wants, I'm a voracious reader, right? There's part of me yeah. that wants to say, read the book, partially because it makes me feel better about myself, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because I spend way more time reading books than I do touching a video game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of like, the books are okay, right? But I can be honest and also say there are plenty of times where my book reading causes a roadblock between my wife and I, because I want to read something instead of hanging yeah. out at the end of the night. Or uh, between me and my children, it's like they want to play with me, but I'm like, no, I'm going to fold laundry and listen to this audiobook because really I just want to be in the audiobook. And it's not just fiction. Like I read nonfiction, all the different kinds sure. of things. Um, so I, th- that's part of why I want to defend it is like, this is my juice, you know? And so right. I, I like it. But wh- what are other reasons do you think that maybe we want to say books are different? Yeah, again, this is my issue, but I think that it's easier with a video game for 10 hours to turn into 15, 20 hours. There's something, at least for me, there's something about it that is harder to regulate than book reading. Again, I know that's me. Yeah, I don't know. I want to say because the book reading is harder or it stretches you to some degree, that that for some reason makes it better. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I kind of want to go the same route. Like, this is why I'm, I'm thinking about this. Um, like reading is in some senses more active. The first book I ever read all the way, because I, I love reading now. I did not like reading as a middle school or a high school. It's my junior year of high school. I found a copy of The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger on the ground because I was kind of this emo indie kid. I thought it was cool to like and romantic to like pick up a book and just like read it. Like I found that it was this thing for me. Uh, but it turns out like the main character, you know, Holden Caulfield inside of it was me, right? Like this like angsty teenager who didn't know what to do with his life. And it was just like this profound experience of connecting with him and his story. Um, but what really brought me through was up until reading that book, I could never imagine what I was reading in my mind's eye. I could not picture what was happening in the words on the page. I didn't have the active enough imagination to be able to create it in my head and make those things real. And the active part of reading that I think actually sets it apart from television, from football, from video games, is there is this profoundly active part of your brain that has to function and work to make it work. That's really interesting. I have a three-year-old and... He loves Thomas the Tank Engine. We let him watch the old show, like the one with the toys or whatever. And there's a Thomas podcast, and we try to regulate his screen time. And between the two, we'd rather him listen to the podcast than the television show. And my wife and I have talked about, like, why is that? And that that's the explanation we've said. Well, at least he's <laughs> exercising his imagination. It's making him yeah. learn to do that. It's a little bit more... Um, Stretching well, there's studies for, about screen time with little kids, rewiring your brain. Like, this, sure, you know, totally. And obviously, we're talking about adults. That's really interesting. But okay, so I do something similar. Uh, I, I read. My daughter's a little older, but I've been reading uh, the Harry Potter books to her. And what yeah. I do when I get about halfway through the book is I show her the movie that's associated with it. Um, which might sound terrible, right? Because now she knows the ending and everything else. But I actually see it as, as a way of uh, almost giving her crutches to get her imagination there, right? So it's like I make her spend the first half having to imagine it. And then she gets the images and the pictures from the movie, which are for sure going to shape her imagination. But during the second half, she has those crutches. And so what I'm trying to develop in her is this capacity to That's take what she's seen somewhere else and bring it into the book to the point now yeah, there's where like I'm a on synthesis books where she, happening. Exactly. And so I do think like there's a value here, right? And so yeah. you know, I don't want to be ridiculous and say video games are no different. Um, But here's what's interesting. I think that if you compared 10 hours of video games to books, I think there's a good case to be made that the books are better. I think if you compare 10 hours of video games to 10 hours of television, certain video games, I should be really clear, not all of them. I'm not talking about playing like Bejeweled or even Fortnite or these kind of (laughs) like games are just the same thing over and over and over and over again. I'm talking about a particular game we get into it. I think that it might be a superior form of imagination and mental work than watching television. Do you mean because of the like the problem solving, like you're participating in it, that kind of stuff? I think it's problem solving. I think it's participatory. I think that it works on you in a different way that um, tells a story in a more interesting. Maybe it'll help to give an illustration of this from one of my favorite video games. Final Fantasy VII. So no one knows the story of that listening to this, but in, in the center of it, and this is a super old game, so I'm not ruining anything. No one's going to go back and play this game. But in the center of it, one of the main characters dies. And this is one of the first times in video games that like a main central character dies in the middle of the story. And it's this deeply moving emotional moment. Um, but there's another main character who's like the real main character of the story. And he is 
on and off being controlled by this external force. And this external force is trying to make him kill his friend, this friend who is going to die. And right before this friend dies, there's this scene where you're controlling the main character and he's walking towards the character who's going to die, <laughs> like he's gonna kill her. And in the midst of this scene, this is what's crazy, it can't progress unless you press a button. And you don't want to, because you know he's going to go kill this character, even though he doesn't want to go kill the character. But you can't go backwards. There's no going back from this. The only huh. way is to press. Any button you press moves him one step closer. And you don't want it. And you're like trying to stop. And guess what the character's doing on screen? He's shaking. Like he doesn't want to do it. And you don't want to do it, but you have to do it because you don't you have, have a choice because it. you're being controlled by the game. It's huh. like this meta moment of, hey, yeah. now, I'm just using this as an example because I could just come up with five other examples at the top of my head of how games tell stories. In fact, let me give one more like, more recent one. A lot of people listening to us who play games have maybe played The Last of Us, uh, which came out, I think, in 2010, 2011. Uh, widely considered to maybe be the best video game that's ever been made. Um, and if someone said, hey, if there's a game I should play, it's like, go play this game because it's profound. Um, but again, like the way it told a story, the, the story opens up and you're in this, what seems like an empty house and you're a 13 year old girl. So like, that's already weird. Like starting off a game as a girl, like that's not normal in gaming world. And she starts exploring the house. She's looking for her dad. And as she's exploring, you, you just happen to see pictures of her and her dad. She finds this little gift that she gave him and it's slowly through the scene, building their relationship. And then you start hearing these crazy sounds outside and all of a sudden her dad comes running in and he's covered in blood and he's terrified and he's yelling at her. We got to go. We got to go. And in the midst of this like them trying to flee and you don't know what's happening and then all of a sudden there's like this is a zombie game so like zombies start like coming out you don't understand what's going on and you're trying to escape and throughout it it's forcing you to like, make these snap decisions that will save yeah. you and you think if you don't know anything about the game in this first 10 minutes like you are going to play as this girl for the rest of the game because that's how most games work <laughs> the first player you play as that's who you are um, and as the scene progresses and as you're escaping with your dad as you're beginning to see his love and that he's a single dad and he's all about it, and you start feeling this like deep connection it all climaxes in a scene where where you all of a sudden switch to the role of the dad and you have to try to protect but fail to protect your daughter from getting shot and killed. Hmm. And this all happens in about 13 minutes. And I, this is embarrassing. I, I cried like a baby. Like it was one of the most deeply moving. I might be a father with a daughter, but like you yeah. want to, as the player, protect this girl who you've now connected with and you don't want her to die. Then there's nothing you can do to stop it. And so I'm saying also say like there's a unique form of storytelling and engagement yeah. that happens in certain kinds of video, story based video games that I think maybe it's not childish. Like there's something profound here that we should wrestle with that moves you in a different way. So I'm sorry, I just talked I think for way too fair. long. But you no, know, I think that's totally fair. <laughs> yeah, I think that's totally fair. I agree with you. I think video games are probably one of the most, uh, they probably are the most superior form of storytelling. Like I used to say, I went to film school many, many years ago. And I used to say the reason I, I enjoyed film was because you don't just control the story, you control the pace that the story is told at. A video, or in, a, um, in a book, I can stop reading, you know? Uh, but when, when it's film, I could control what's on the screen and how quickly things unfold. And that's mm. really powerful. When you add the element of participation to storytelling, then it's just wild. Like you're in it. You're literally in it. And I definitely think it's a great way to tell stories. I just think it's a double-edged sword. The things that are the best about video games that make them so fun, that make them so entertaining, that make them like such a great medium for storytelling are also the things that make, that tempt you to maybe do too much or, you know, back to maybe the violence question. I think there is not with making people become violent, but I think there is something mm. kind of messed up in some games about you participating mm. in abject violence. Like I, I'm not talking about like a first person shooter, like a game where you're competing or something like it's like a war or something, but like games, like one that always jumps to my mind, Grand Theft Auto five, like where you're, you literally can just for no reason, just go around and beat people with a bat it's not even the mission it's not part of the story like you can just do violence to innocent people and even if that has no bearing on whether you actually do violence in real life there's something pretty soul twisting about the ability to act that out even in fake world do you know what i mean yeah i, I think that is really interesting so there's two things here that i would actually is i think we're beginning to parse this apart in a fascinating way which is saying Maybe one of the, okay. So if one of the problems is that everybody's got a productivity problem, <laughs> right? <laughs> Another yeah. problem is like we have to become media literate to evaluate media. Yes. And because Christians haven't been talking about video games in a productive way, they either think it's childish or they just 
you know, are kind of going to defend their little addiction or thing that they're doing. It's like, no, like what I was just doing there, it's like, I'm trying to like talk about what's happening in this story and how is it functioning? Like, you need that literacy to understand this isn't a childish medium. It's a profound storytelling medium. It's no better than watching Netflix or reading a book, though it's different than both those things. And now I think you're kind of going into a third area, which is how do we evaluate violence? And specifically, like with all of these, we could even say every video game is going to be different. Like one of the problems is we talk about right. video games. It's like what I just said. I find those games that tell profound and deep stories far less addictive than playing like an Overwatch or a Call of Duty or something like that. I don't play those games in part (laughs) because I can't turn it off, right? Because it's the constant feedback loop of getting my results and beating people or losing, right? Mm -hmm. Like it keeps me in. Whereas these games that are more story-based tend to be less... And they sell less copies probably for this reason, right? They're doing something different. And now you bring up a different thing, which is how do we evaluate what happens inside of the games themselves? Like, are there forms of violence which are appropriate and inappropriate? So you made an interesting distinction there. You're like, if the violence is like gratuitous, like totally unnecessary for the story or the game, then it feels gross. But you're also like, well, in a first person shooter, that's different. So like, how, how do yeah. we think, I, I'm being serious, like, yeah. how do we wrestle no. through that? Like, when is the violence okay or not okay? And we're not going to come up with yeah. a black and white answer. No, I don't think we're going to answer the question. But I, here's how I think about it. I'll just give my opinion. To make an analogy with movies, I think there's a difference between watching a war movie and part of it is that people die. Someone gets shot, they die. Uh-huh. Versus, there's a name for these, but it's a subgenre of horror that's like, basically, the torture entertainment porn. comes from yeah yeah they're they're torture it's like it's how those awful and creatively uh-huh. can they can this person die how gory can it be and like there, and in fact there's a chapter in the book that's called don't glory in the gore and mm-hmm. that that I think is a difference and it's a difference that's that's going on inside of you with how you're thinking about it and so that's just from the difference between obviously with a movie with versus a video game is you're just watching it but you're being entertained by the gore itself versus the storyline that has these death and things that are part of it. I think that there is a difference there. And obviously you can't boil that down in an Excel spreadsheet and say, well, how much is too much? That's what we always want to do, right? We want to make Mm -hmm. it, we want to make it uh, legalistic. But um, I think with games, the same difference applies. Like you have to shoot to do this, your team to win, you have to eliminate the other team. It's mock war versus in this game, you're just killing innocent people. You're torturing them. It's not even part of the plot. It's just literally you mm-hmm. acting out some base, awful, violent desire. I think there's something twisted about that. Mm-hmm. It even says, um, there's a verse I, in Psalm 11, 5. It says, the Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. And that's always stuck with me is there's like, there's, there's violence in the Bible. There's, there's people who are men of war. Um, but man, his he hates the soul of the one who loves violence i don't want to love violence like i don't want to love gore i don't want that to be the thing that i'm like oh yeah show me more blood and i think that's the difference in some games um just like some movies that's the thing that's supposed to be the source of the entertainment the gore itself well here's what i love about what you did there is that you brought two things together again in a helpful way which is what's happening in the game and what we're consuming on the game, we should think through in the exact same ways we think through what happens in movies. Now, again, most Christians I know are terrible at this. They have zero discernment about what they watch on television. There's kind of this attitude where it's like, if you're under the age of 18, I think it actually ironically came about because of our rating system. It's like one of these like negative side effects. It's like by putting ratings on things and saying, this is inappropriate for people under the age of 17, somehow Americans drew the conclusion, therefore anything, if I'm above the age of 18, is appropriate. (laughs) That is so, dude, I think you're 100% right. That's a really funny observation. Sorry, I just had to pause you there. That's brilliant. I think it's it's so true. It's one of those funny things where it's like, that's how we think about laws, right? Like we want clear, we want black and white. And the amount of Christians who don't think through like, is this horror porn that I'm, torture porn that I'm watching? Like, right. what is this doing to my soul? How is this shaping my desires, my longings, what I see as being beautiful, right, good, true, and just? How is this malforming it, right? You brought up another example. If I'm watching a war movie, often war movies actually don't glorify violence. They right. do the exact opposite. So here's an interesting example. Squid Game. Now, I don't know if you watch Squid Game. I, I haven't got seen a, it, but I know what it is. We got, <laughs> it got a lot of trash because people said, look, this is another one of these torture porn things. Like the whole thing is watching people die and get bloody. And I watched the first episode with a friend because I was curious about it. I thought we'd do a little show on it and talk about it. Um, and now I am actually very discerning with what I watch. I don't watch horror movies. So someone's going to think, I don't watch Quentin Tarantino movies. Like I don't like the murder porn. It's not my thing. Um, maybe I shouldn't have watched it. Anyways, here's the point. I, I watched the show. 
And uh, what I found fascinating about it was that it does not glorify violence. The mm. violence in the show is not designed to make you say, oh, yeah, this is awesome. It's to make you say, this is sickening. And by putting it in the context of all these metaphors about capitalism and classism, it's telling you something about what's happening in your own world. I thought this is a really interesting way of telling a story that actually pushes your heart in the right direction. This is evil. This is wrong. I don't want anything to do with it. And so I do wonder, like, to what degree, you know, that plays into video games. And I think that's what you're Oh, I think that's so good. Yeah, I always thought it was funny too, like in the rating system for movies that they would rate it based on drug references. And I always thought that's <laughs> funny because it's like, is it a negative or a positive reference? Are they saying drugs are good or is the drug saying drugs are bad? Like, how are you going to rate a movie R because it was because it said drugs were bad? It's like, okay, that, that makes no sense at all. That's the trouble with trying to quantify this stuff though, I think. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it is about us that makes us want to reduce every I do know what it is about us that makes us want to reduce everything down to laws okay what is the exact thing how close can I get to the line the book I did is written towards young people mostly but what I tried to do was come alongside as like an older brother and say hey I get it I like games too I don't think they're bad instead of trying to quantify and say where's the line Mm. let's look inward and say why is it that they're so enjoyable what can that tell us about our hearts what can that tell us about what we're made for and Let's evaluate the games based on that. Does this game and how much I'm playing it and all of that, does that help me to live a life that's more God-honoring or does that hinder me from it? Stop thinking in terms of, I can go right up this line and no further. Start thinking in terms of, is this making me more like Christ? Is this making me more holy? Is this a wise use of my time? Starting with the heart instead of, are people going to judge me for this or that kind of thing? Yeah, I think it's, maybe valuable to to say this, Christians have, going back to the Westminster Confession, (laughs) had, I think, a bad relationship with not just entertainment, but with play. (laughs) Like where I'm saying this is back in the Westminster, they, in their rules about keeping Sabbath, they ban recreation. Like, you can have your Sabbath day, but Which there's no funny. recreation. Which is funny. That's ironic. Allowed, right? <laughs> and and so, you know, a lot of pastors, at least in, in my denomination, they have to take vows and they have to say, you know, I'm, I'm, hold, I'm upholding the Westminster. But then you take exceptions. You say, what's something that I don't agree with inside of the Westminster? Almost every pastor takes the recreation one. And I think they do it yeah. for good reason. It's because God designed us to be physical creatures who take joy in his creation. And that doesn't just mean going out into nature. Creation includes all the culture making that we do collectively. And so one of the things... Is I think someone can hear this and say, there's no way that me playing video games is going to make me more godlike. And I would say, well, actually, I think God wants you to enjoy the good things that he's made, the good things that he's created. He wants you to appreciate the culture that his human image bearers have created and to enjoy it. The question is, what are the forms I can enjoy? What are the manner in which I can enjoy? Are there things I shouldn't, you know? Like, if this is a hyper-realistic video game where there's tons of blood spatter and gore. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, and here's what's crazy. I'll just pause here for a second. Most video games these days, you can change that. Like yeah, one thing I ask Christian, I'm like, I'm like, Hey, do you turn off the blood or like, do you turn it down? You know? And they're like, Oh no. Like, I'm like, why not just turn it off? Like, it's like the funny thing is like, it's yeah. even inside your control in some circumstances and we won't, and we won't affect it. But I think you're asking all these great questions that are helping me. And I think any Christian who wants to engage in video. So, so I'm going to ask you one last question here because you're the sure. guy who wrote the book. Uh, can you give me an example of a healthy relationship with video games? Hmm. Yeah, I would say playing them in moderation the same amount that you might do another form of entertainment responsible level i can't again i'm not gonna put an hour limit on it but if you play in video games instead of watching tv i don't see the issue the issue comes when it starts to interfere with other responsibilities when you start to isolate yourself from other people you know instead Mm. of watching tv with somebody you play video games by yourself and that's the only thing you do i think a healthy relationship is choosing good games with discernment that are edifying, they're helpful, that are entertaining, they're fun, and playing them with a moderate use of time and not overdoing it. I mean, I think I'd have a hard time disagreeing with anything you just said there. So we thought maybe we'd come from a different angle. I will say, like, I'm an obsessive personality, so, you know, this can create its own set of problems. So, like, you know, five years ago, I got super into Johann Sebastian Bach, and, like, all I did was listen to Bach's music. All I did was read books about oh, Bach. Oh, another, for- another Bach addict. Oh, I hate you, Bach addicts. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not kidding. For about a year and a half, it's all I did. 
I mean, I was just yeah. so deep. And I just know this about myself, you know. And I don't think it's a bad thing. I view it as like, hey, like I was enjoying the beauty of this one person's yeah. creation. And I don't think it was a bad thing at all, like to go deep. Now, of course, it can go too far. And I, usually that doesn't happen to me, thankfully. But recently, I've kind of experienced something similar with video games where I've kind of said, you know, I want to understand this art form. I want to understand how mm -hmm. this thing works. And the more I've gotten into it, the more that I've explored it, the more I've thought there's some really beautiful story making, storytelling power. I'm not saying it's true of all video games or it's true across the board. And I understand that it can be abused. But I really think that there's a place for Christians to start appreciating video games more, in part because there's this giant gamer community out there that has no place in the church because they know the minute they show up, they're just going to have a bunch of Mark Driscoll's out there telling them video games aren't sinful. They're just stupid. You know, it's like, OK, yeah. well, now that you've called me dumb, I'm ready to go back home to my atheist gamer community, which most of them are. And so that's the other part here. There's an evangelistic aspect to this. There's an art appreciation aspect to this. And there's everything I think you said about, you know, evaluating content and productivity and all those things. And so I just wonder, can we hold all these things together and yeah. figure out like a healthy way? <laughs> I, I hope so. It's so funny, Patrick, because I wrote a Christian book on video games. People often assume I'm the anti-video game guy, which is funny. Like just immediately they're like, oh, you're a Christian book on video games. That must be because you hate video games. I don't hate video games. Yeah. I love video games. I want to understand why. I want yeah. to know why I love them, what's good about them. And I want to be discerning about the it. stuff where there's potential issues there. And I completely agree with you. It's just not useful. It's not helpful to just browbait people over it. And that's why when I talk to young people, especially about this, I just want to come from a big brother perspective. I love it too. And this is what I tell parents too. And I know adults play video games too, but I talk to parents about this. Like, well, what do I do? My kid plays a lot of video games. Like, have you played it with them? Play the games with them. If you want to figure out how to talk to your kid about gaming and what they're playing, all that, just play with them. One, it's good to spend time with your kid. <laughs> Two, you'll understand it. And you'll be able, you'll say, mm -hmm. oh, I get it. And you see parents that are gamers versus parents that aren't, that have kids that play games, totally wildly different approaches to it. There's a little bit more sensitivity and there's a little bit more open ability to communicate when you actually know what you're talking about instead of criticizing it as an outsider. And that's probably true of anything. No, I actually totally agree with you. Your book was not browbeating people. And that's what I really appreciated about it. You were seeking to understand the right place of video games in people's lives. And I hope that anybody listening to this picks it up and, and thinks about it on that level. I appreciate that, Patrick. This has been an awesome conversation. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's been great being here. I love chatting about this topic, and I hope that we can start a broader conversation around how Christians can think about video games. Men, have you ever noticed how most of discipleship feels like going through a workbook? There are lectures, readings, and fill-in-the-blank questions. But what if discipleship felt less like a workbook and more like a workout? What if discipleship didn't just engage a small part of you, but the whole of you? mind, heart, and body. Cross Training Ministries trains guys in spiritual fitness. Their discipleship programs focus on three core areas, simple routines, bodily discipline, and spiritual friendships. If you are looking for something to break you out of the rut of a stale devotional life, check out menneedhelp.org. This website outlines a 12-week challenge that will help you and your friends find a road that leads to long-term spiritual growth. Too many guys are treading water in their spiritual lives. Don't let that be you. If you need help with personal discipline and spiritual routines, check out menneedhelp.org. A link is in the show notes. For more productivity from a Christian worldview, check out my weekly newsletter, Reagan's Roundup. Every Thursday, I share an insight along with the five best links I found that week that I think will help you in your journey to becoming a more productive Christian. It's totally free. Just go to newsletter.redeemingproductivity.com to sign up for Reagan's Roundup. That's newsletter.redeemingproductivity.com.